Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Podcast Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. Your host is the incomparable John Debevoise. Today, John talks with Ryan Kugler, entrepreneur extraordinaire, who runs three highly successful businesses. Today, we will focus on one of them, Plan B, one of the nation's largest secondary wholesalers. What is a secondary wholesaler? Ryan purchases unwanted, out-of-date product, or from companies going out of business, and resells it to companies like Ross, Dollar Store, Marshalls, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, and individual Amazon sellers. It's a fascinating look at how inventory gets recycled and put back onto shelves. So come hungry, because BizSoup has a lot to offer on this episode. Ryan, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have yet another entrepreneur on this show. And as we were talking about back in my day when we used dictionaries, you opened up to the page where it said entrepreneur, if you knew how to spell it, and there would be my picture. But now that we have Wikipedia, my picture has been replaced with you. You are the entrepreneur on the West Coast or the left coast, whatever you want to call it. So welcome to this show. And I want to talk about one of your many projects, and that's called Plan B Distribution. You have come up with a Plan B, a little bit different than what most people would think about as a Plan B. It's a distribution company. Tell us about what Plan B is and how did you come about with that idea? Plan B, we are in the liquidation business. We also consider ourselves a secondary wholesaler, which really means that when someone does not do well with their product, it does not sell well, any product that they make, a physical product, that's sold online or in stores, they will call us and say, hey, can you help me move it? Can you buy it for me? We wanna get rid of it because to them it is a closeout, it's run its course, they are officially done with it. This happens, every manufacturer, even retailers have product. You walk into a store and you see something, you come back three months later, the shelf you know, has changed, there's new products. Where did the old products go? If they didn't sell to you, the friendly consumer, they go to a company <laughs> like me and we move it. <laughs> well, you're not the only one in this space. There are a few other companies uh, like uh, Big Box Outfits and there's Ross and all of those. So yes. is everybody in competition for this material or do you have to establish relationships with these companies where you come get it or they ship it to you and then you resell it? Very good question. So, yes, retailers is my biggest competitor, a Ross, a Big Lots, a Dollar General, Dollar Tree. They do buy closeouts. They're also my customers. But we basically will buy it from the manufacturer. We bought from the names I've said, and we bought from other retailers. So I'm one of many people that does this. I think it's really based on relationships. I've been doing this for many, many years, and people know me, and they know I'm quick and make a quick offer. Best of all is my communication. I know how to reply quickly to an email, which I suggest everyone does in the world. And so people like that. So they're going to, if someone says, hey, Ryan, I have this. And I reply back, yeah, I want it. And I'll pay you this and I'll pick it up. Great. This guy's on it. Let's do some business with him. All right. So recently we've seen a lot of these brick and mortars falling off the cliff. We have Linens and Things. We have Pier One, Radio Shack. I didn't even know Radio Shack was still around. So they have all of this inventory and they're going out of business, the brick and mortars. Does everybody in the Plan B industry go after them and make bids for this inventory? How does that work? Yes. Retailers, unfortunately, took a very big hit this last year. They've been declining over time due to the internet and Amazon and everyone growing, which has been great for other entrepreneurs who make a product and sell it online. But with retailers going out of business, they have many choices. There's many different verticals in the liquidation closeout business. 
One of them is to do a GOB sale. It's called going out of business sale where they put a big yellow banner on their stores. It's going out of business, 50% off. Most retailers go that route first. Then whatever's left in the stores, because they have to be out of that physical location by a certain time, they will then sell to a company like us and we'll clean it up and take it away for them. So when they sell it to you, are you saying that you're you're going in and you're giving them a cash offer, you buy that inventory and then you turn it around? So they're not waiting for their money. They're expecting you to say, all right, I want this and you offer them that. Yes, cash is king. So with us and other competitors like myself, when you pay cash for inventory and you just give it to them or wire them, you're not giving them green cash, by the way, but when you wire them or a cashier's check. That green cash is so difficult to deal with these days. You know, you walk in, they look at you like a criminal. Yes. I've had someone walk in and try to give me green cash. And, <laughs> you know, there's certain legalities that you need to follow with handing over green cash. To That's you right. Fill out their forms. So they say, we've got this. You pay them that. You wire them the money. And then what happens? Then we pick it up. So we send in trucks. We move hundreds, if not a thousand trucks a year, picking up inventory all across the country. We even do some international business. And we bring it to our warehouse, which is in Chicago, because it's central of the United States. It's an easy ship point. Shipping right now is insane uh, over this last year. Shipping costs, carbon footprint, gas, et cetera. So we try to find the most local place, Chicago, or we will rent a warehouse, bring it in check it in inventory and resell it. And we could be buying it from a Dollar Tree and selling it to a 99 cent only, their competitor. <laughs> All right. Or so across the street too. <laughs> <laughs> what a plan. Uh, you know, that wasn't plan A, but here's plan B and that's called plan B distribution. It's just one of your companies here. So if I'm a small business owner, which I am, and my listenership are small business owners and they're listening to this going, hey, you know, Ryan's got a plan here. How would I, as a small business, be able to capitalize on this opportunity of all of this excess inventory that came from all of these big companies all wrapped and ready to ship? How would I get in on that as a small business owner online or otherwise? Good question. So there's two ways to liquidation and closeouts. First, there's the buying and the selling. So if you're a small business owner and you manufactured a product and sold it online or selling it online and you're done with it, my first suggestion is do not call a company like me <laughs> because we're going to offer you a very low price unless you really want to get rid of it. But we always tell people, try to sell it to your customers first. So go to your customers, just like the retailers do. Radio Shack, they gave it to their customers at a reduced price. Always try to do that first. You're going to make more money. It's a little more time consuming, one piece here, one piece there, where I buy it in bulk, 10,000, 100,000, a million units at a time. So that's what I would suggest. On the flip side, if you're looking to buy liquidation and closeouts, there's actually companies in each city, local companies, where you can walk into a warehouse and buy a skid or a pallet, the same thing, or a truckload of different inventory that you can go and you just Google the name. Big company is called liquidation.com. Why am I referring to them and not me? Because if you're a small business owner, you might want to just start with a smaller amount. Where with us, we have minimums where we're going to sell you 2,500, 5,000, 10,000 at a time, which we'd love to sell you. And if that's the case, look us up, Plan B Distribution. Well, I think in most cases of a small business owner, that might take up a little excess space in my storefront. Yes. And then they might call us and try to sell it back to us. We've had that. <laughs> All right, so you you get these massive amounts, whether it be, as I, I gave the example of linen th and things and Pier 1, and I would imagine that there's quite a scrambling for inventory of Plan B companies that are going for that. And as you said, cash is king. So if I'm buying something, how would I know that it came in or through Plan B distribution? 
you actually wouldn't know. We don't put a label or anything on it, so it's kind of hard to tell. But So if it comes into the warehouse on a skid, and probably it sounds like it goes out on the same skid. Yes. Okay. That is true. As you gave the example, if you go through one of the big box stores down at the mall there, and you say, oh, that looks nice, and then you come back next month, it's gone. How would I look up that inventory if I said, you know, I saw that maybe I should have bought that earlier? How would I know where it went and how would I look for a particular item if it got wholesaled out to a Plan B distribution company? Very good question, actually. So the first answer is you wouldn't actually find it because Plan B for us, we don't publicize that we bought a deal on Crayola Cranes. The way that people find out is our customers are usually retailers, brick and mortar end users, they're called. And they will email us, call us directly and say, hey, I want to see closeouts you have put my name on a list. And this is what I want to see. I want to see Crayola Crayons. So then what we do is then, yes, they'll get an email from us once a week, once a month, every other day, whatever, that says, hey, we have Crayola Crayons or, hey, we have Fisher Price Toys or, hey, we have this. That's usually how. The second way is if they're specifically looking for a certain item, best just to Google it. And somebody, an Amazon seller who might have bought a pallet or a skid of it, will go list it online somewhere on a link through Amazon or eBay or Shopify or whatever website is the most used these days. So if I was to see this item on eBay, there might be some other people, eBay or Amazon, that have the same product. So it really comes down to price selection. What am I willing to sell it for versus the other person? And the one with the best price or service or best ad gets the hit. True. You're completely correct. But I want to put this little forewarning out to your listeners. If you're looking to get into the liquidation business of buying and selling products, which is a good business, and you find it on eBay or one of these other sites or Amazon, Amazon is probably better because it's going to be brand new or it's going to give more detail as to if it's slightly used. But I'm telling you this because you want to check quality. So price, you know, you pay less, you get less major factor in my life. So if you see something for $10, you see the same item for $5, something is wrong with the $5 item. Maybe it's scratched, scruff, the edges are frayed. Maybe it's missing a crayon. Something is wrong. You didn't just suddenly start up plan B at what it's at. You're an entrepreneur. You've got other businesses as well. When did you have that moment where you're going, you know what, I can do this and maybe I can do it better? How did you come about with this idea of Plan B distribution? You know, it's a good, quick story. When I got out of school, I got into the family business, and my father owned a business that sold videotapes, VHS videotapes to video stores, Blockbuster Video. Oh, yes. So we were doing that, but in very small quantity, five here, 10 there, three there. And I thought bigger because I was an entrepreneur and got out of school and said, why are we peddling one and two videos? Let's peddle 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. So I started calling the movie studios and other companies and buying their inventory and reselling it to Best Buy and Circuit City at the time and so forth. So that's how I kind of got into it. But as media, meaning VHS, DVDs have slowly gone away, uh, (laughs) I had to pivot and change where I was going and said, if I can buy 10,000 DVDs, why can't I buy 10,000 extension cords? So now I changed the name of the company. It used to be called DBA, which stood for Distribution Video and Audio, which are two words that don't really exist in today's time because you don't really buy video, which means VHS, and audio, which really means an audio cassette. For those listeners out there that know those words. (laughs) So basically, a widget is a widget. So I, I pivoted from buying media to everything else. After you realized, oh, I can buy 10,000 extension cords, and that worked, wow, there's a market. What was the next thing you went after? Well, we pretty much buy anything and everything now, and, and we're offered anything and everything. The oddest things we've ever been offered in our liquidation closeout business is pig's ears, 
spoiled milk and human hair. But we have not bought those three items. But there is a market for that. There is a market, actually. Spoiled milk is bought for farms because I think they feed pigs and other cattle and stuff. But we don't have that market or that niche. So if somebody wants to go after it, somebody who's listening, go for it. Pig's ears, I didn't even research. And human hair, I didn't research. Well, <laughs> coming from the agricultural industry, I'm very familiar with both of those products. There, There's a business for you. <laughs> there we go. Spoiled milk and pig's ears. Can't put them together, but I know where they go. There you go. So, Ryan, you started off small and you grew and you grew. How long did it, what happened in your first year? You, you transitioned from the DVD and video and, and such, and I do know those terms. And, you know, I'm still waiting for my eight track collection to have a, a value. <laughs> it does a little bit, actually. They're worth about a buck a unit. Yes. Well, I paid a little bit more for Neil Diamond and, and Barry Manilow back in the day. So when you started it, you had a certain volume. How long did it take you to break that million dollar mark? And was it year one, year two, when? I would say, well, with the previous company I was with, the family business DVA, we were, I think we were doing two to three million when I started. And I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn or boost it. But by the time our highest point that we got to was 25 million. But then of course the media industry started to decline. So then when I started plan B and I jumped ship and started my own company, no family connection, no nothing, all on my own. We say within the first year, we went to a million and we've just completed 20 million and we're seven years old. You were in the family business. You were part of that wheel. And you finally said, you know what, folks, I'm going to put my own wheel out there. How easy was it to leave the family business? Oftentimes they look at you as a mutineer. You know, you're walking the plank and jumping off the ship. It's not an easy thing for some people. How easy was it for you to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, family, I'm on my own. See you later. Bye. I think it had its pluses and minuses like anything. If anyone's working for any company out there, they're, you know, working for the man, as they say, and then they leave and go start their own company, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, you know, the minuses, you don't have a camaraderie, you don't have a team, uh, someone else to bounce ideas off of right away. The pluses is you might make a little bit more money and you can make a decision and no one's going to counter it. So, you know, it, it was good and it's bad and uh, I miss it, but I love it. So it's, it's, it's 50-50. When you started your business going into the entity, I've, I've said for decades now that I've never met an attorney who wasn't willing to separate you from your success. You have a company. At what point did you incorporate and how did you do it? Was it a, a C-Corp, S-Corp, an LLC? Certainly you're not doing by DBA. Good question. Uh, you know your stuff. When I left, we immediately chatted with a lawyer and basically went under the same premise as the family business I was with before. So we did an S-Corp. And sure, it took a little time to get all the licenses that you need, like from the local city and government and to set up the corporation and to build a website. But I did it all in the background as I was doing sales technically. So I was still wheeling and dealing and on the phone and had some other people doing it for me and just kind of did it all and, and appreciative that that I have a team of five. We're a little smaller now, but we we all do fun stuff. And plus, you know, we have other companies too. And I have a layered company where the five employees work the other companies as well. So it makes it more interesting. So there's never a dull moment. 
I have often said, and I, and I can see the example here, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And as my audience always knows, I talk about putting spokes in the wheel. You are already in a similar business. And I've said for decades that look at technology and how it can improve the business that you're already in. There's your spoke. Where do you put it? And you found this niche where you can, instead of just the, the video sales, there's the opportunity to go into other products, other goods and services that have a physical presence uh, that you can put your hands on. So you didn't reinvent it. You just put your spokes in a wheel and moved on down the road and took your business. And it's the opportunities are there. What was the biggest challenge that you had in starting this new business of yours? Good question. And yes. So basically, I basically applied what I know and what I learned from finishing school to now and said, listen, I know how to do this. Let's keep doing it. I did start other businesses to challenge myself to see, can I do other stuff? And we can chat about that another time. But going back to what was the toughest thing to do starting the new company? I think it was doing it more alone, should I say. Like we touched upon before, leaving the family and I didn't have the camaraderie of someone else there, a brother, a father, you know, another brother. When you leave a team, you have to start a new team and you have to find new people. And I think that was the biggest thing. But I do remember when I like first started and the office is empty and I'm trying to get the fax <laughs> machine to work and I, I got to put the ink in the machine and it doesn't work and I'm trying to answer the phone. I just remember that day where I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I don't have someone just to say, put the ink in the machine, order new ink. Can you get the phones? I had, you know, I was a one man band for a few months to probably six, seven months. And at the end of the day, you're the one out there sweeping and, and using the dustpan as well. Yes, I do appreciate that with my father and my family who raised me. I, I call it pick up a shovel and start digging a ditch. So I learned how to do this. I know how to work and I know how to make it happen. I don't I don't have the attitude of, oh, let's just see how the day goes. No, I need to make it happen and I'm responsible for any positive or negative aspects. So when you became your own self-employed entrepreneur, you found that you suddenly had five hats on and you were working a lot more hours than what you were the day before. Yes, but I, I do pride myself that I know how to just get things done. That's my slogan in life, just get it done. So if an email comes in, I don't put it off. I hit reply immediately and I answer it and I go to the next one. Because when you put stuff off, technically it's double work because you're putting it off and then you got to go read it again later. Good point. So I have found that having the 10 hats or 10 jobs I do, I can get it all done and still be home by dinner and, you know, play with my kids. Well, it is a a juggling of priorities and things. And then, you know, the family comes home and says, when are you going to stop working? Because your mind's always turning as to how do I make this work better? And, and you know, I've got to put this hat on and then, oh, yeah, just, you know, here you go, kids. Even at three in the morning when you wake up in the middle of the night and go, what about this? And I just, my mind is always thinking about work. And when I leave work at like four o'clock, because I start like at five to six a.m., right? I do leave work. I'm actually done until the next day. When you got into business, not everybody knows everything. And I have found that the three biggest challenges in business, the business killers, have been regulation, legislation, and litigation. Of those three, what do you consider to be the biggest impact or biggest threat to your industry and your business? Very good question. So I would say that regulation and legislation is not because we go by the first sale doctrine, which is a legal law that the government put in place many years ago. We actually have a plaque hanging up that says, if you buy something, you can sell it at whatever price you want. We've had people come and try to sue us, not a lot, that said, hey, why are you selling this for a penny? Because the first sale doctor, we can buy it and lose our shorts and sell it for whatever we want. So we don't have that problem. 
regulation, yes. If we buy an inventory of food, it needs to be sent in refrigerated trucks and, you know, USDA certified and all that fun stuff. So we, you know, apply those laws. But I would say the biggest challenge is technology. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the changing technology. Every week when Windows updates and you got to figure out how to send an email from this way or how to do that, that is our biggest challenge. And I find that the younger millennials are our greatest asset and they know how to keep up with technology compared to maybe some older people like myself. <laughs> I can appreciate that. I spend so much time trying to learn myself and I say, the heck with this. I'm going to go kidnap a 10-year-old and pay him with Skittles. I agree. My daughter, who's 11, knew how to do this video and make it go in reverse and back and forth. And I'm like, how do you know this? I can't even do this. Dad, it's on your phone. Yeah, everything's on the phone these days. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so many apps I haven't even opened, but you know, that's for another subject. Ryan, I, it's invaluable in the content and the entrepreneurship that, you, that you've demonstrated where you have taken a wheel, you put your own spoke in it, now you're rolling down the road and you're doing tens of millions of dollars in the wholesale and distribution industry, taking inventory that others have been unsuccessful in marketing. And then you turn around and because you can, at your price break, you can sell it for less. You recapitalize those that you bought it from, they get to use that money and create new product lines, whatever that may be. And the, the food chain keeps working. That wheel keeps turning. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, folks. Just put a spoke in it. And Ryan here has done so. Ryan Cooler, it has been a joy to talk to an entrepreneur and somebody who, who sees that. And you've got other businesses I'm going to invite you back to talk about. We've been talking about Plan B, but there's also your events company called A5. And I would welcome you to come back and talk about each of those on different servings of business soup. Ryan Coogler, thank you for being on this serving of business soup. Thank you very much. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.